Let me tell you why you're here. What can I do for you? Well, I'm looking for a white rabbit. So, um, white rabbit. This movement is growing. We have an army of digital soldiers. Digital soldiers with irregular warfare at its finest. Digital soldiers. That story will continue to be told here. Welcome, fellow troopers, to another episode of White Rabbit. We have what we call citizen journalists. Digital soldiers. Welcome, fellow truthers, to another episode of White Rabbit. I am your host, Catalyst Jones. Along with me today is some very, very influential people in my life. One who has been on the show before. You know her as Lala Beams, and she is killing it in the game. Whether you're on Instagram or whether you listen to podcasts, you've probably heard of her. She's pretty much amazing. Welcome to the show, Lala. Wow, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Happy to be here. Yes, I'm so happy to have you back on. Um, we have a new guest with us as well. And today we have from the David Slays Goliath Instagram account, which he also does a live show every Sunday night, which is awesome to say the least about it. Um, everybody, welcome, David. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> so today is um is a rabbit hole that it, it, every conspiracy or rabbit hole that I've ever dove down always leads to the existence of a creator. So I felt like this was a very important um topic and I thought that who better to have on for this topic than David Slays Goliath and Lala Beams who was recently baptized and found found her uh found her new way i should say yeah um, i'm i'm happy to be on here to talk about this i mean as you know i have basically completely changed everything about um i guess my perception or my angle on what i'm posting about because in reality that's what all of this is. You know, I've said before that all of the physical stuff is uh, just a manifestation of what's happening in the spiritual realm. And uh, now I just have a lot more um, direction and guidance in that. So I'm, I'm happy to be here for this episode. Um, Lala, I've been meaning to ask you because um, as 98% of the people go through this world, we feel a void and we try to fill it with um, drinking or drugs or promiscuous sex, uh, whatnot. And I really feel that that void is because we don't have Jesus and we don't have God in our hearts and in our lives. And since you accepted um Jesus into your life. Have you felt that void lift any? Yeah. So the way it works for me, worked for me is, you know, I'm still learning about, there's so much that I'm learning still, obviously, but 
since I decided to walk with the Lord, I have basically everything has come into focus from my past. So all of the trials and tribulations that I had to go through for my past um, make perfect sense to me now that it, it was leading me straight to where I am now. Uh, I struggled a lot with drinking and drugs in my 20s, and I was single for most of my 27 years of my 20s. I was in bad relationships. I um I, I had, I was promiscuous, you know, our culture feeds into that for sure. But I see exactly why I had to go through all of that now. And um, uh, it, it's just, it's, everything is clear. And I'm almost halfway through the Bible now. <laughs> and uh, I have not even yet to the New Testament, but um, I know that just from some of it that I've read, you know, there's the the parable of the hundred sheep, right? That he goes back for that one sheep. And it talks about the heavens rejoicing so much over one sinner who is repenting and aware that they have so much to repent for than 99 people who may go to church one hour a week and think that they're they're righteous and they don't have nothing to repent for. So I think God uses everyone and and their um whatever is in their past anything that you could someone would paint as negative but he uses it for his good and for his glory so yeah absolutely david did you want to add anything to that about the um absence uh, that people try to fill this void yeah that you know when you look at this whole creation in the and the world that you know god created us he created us in his image so when you look at the whole universe and even the heavenly hosts angels other types of beings because god doesn't tell us all of the different type of creatures he created in the heavens he gives us a, a slight indication of different types the cherubim the seraphim um archangels um and the term angel really is not defining the creature or the or that that being it's the the word angel out of the hebrew actually means messenger so it's like the the lowest ranking divine host if you say an angel that's a messenger of god but like cherubim and seraphim that's the type of of messenger or type of beings they are but when he finally got to creating the earth and and the heavens and then he said let us make man in our image man and woman that means everything else he did in creation was different and now he's ready to do a new thing and so the angels aren't created in his image um the the divine hosts nothing in the universe was ever created in his image so we are unique in that aspect in all the universe were his children and he created us with attributes of himself we're not god we can never be god but we have aspects of creativity of imagination of intellect the ability to love the ability to choose that volition that ability um i wouldn't call it um free will anymore the only people that really had free will was adam and eve because they were in a position before sin ever existed but had the potential to exist because of having the ability to choose you have to 
in order for them to love God back, for it to truly be love, there had to be, be the ability of choice. And there had to be the ability of choice of not choosing God or disobeying God and doing something opposite of God, which, which then birth, birth the evil well, in man of doing yeah. opposite, opposite of God. Um, we're seeing Satan more blatant um, as every year passes. Right. And just an example of that happened last weekend at the the Travis Scott um, concert. Yeah. And a lot of people were there were saying that it felt like they were in hell or it was a satanic ritual, which I truly believe it was a satanic ritual because I dove down that rabbit hole. <clears throat> but the, the, the sad part about it is, is they, they're, um, they're making accept acceptable to worship these false idols. And it's almost like, it's not almost like it is very much like kids are looking up to these false idols mm -hmm. who are there to represent an evil agenda. And so much so that now they're being sacrificed in this massive ritual. I'm sorry. And um, to piggyback off of that, you have not even a year ago, Lil Nas X came out with a video where he was doing a lap dance with Satan. And these are the people that our kids are looking up to. So they're normalizing it. And it's almost like if you are a Christian, then you're, you know, in their eyes, it's like, Oh wow, you're crazy. Like, how could you ever believe? And I was just curious, um, Lala, what your thoughts on the Travis Scott thing was, do you feel that that was a satanic ritual and that Satan is just so blatant now that he's not even trying to hide it? Uh, well, there's a couple things I think about that. The uh, yes, it, I mean, it was appeared to be a satanic ritual. It is not a new thing that <laughs> the music industry uh, portrays itself that way you know think about like black sabbath like or bands like that that i mean what were they in the 70s or something it's right. always been prevalent now um one of the videos i posted showed that there was like eight people who died at a pearl jam concert just 20 years ago in the same fashion same amount of people showing up um i know that the lawyer ben crump was um also George Floyd's lawyer and Trayvon Martin's lawyer. The second I saw that, I was like, this is kind of weird. Now, a false flag, you know, it could be it doesn't mean people didn't die. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, along with all of the jab and what we do and don't know about how the jab reacts to certain things, the graphene oxide and how how it reacts to frequencies and all of that. There's a lot of stuff that could go into play. But there was a video that I saw that showed that this guy went through the entire footage of the concert because we saw, you know, cherry picked videos all throughout right. Instagram. And um, it basically it, it looked as though not like all of the videos that we saw. So um, I do think it's possible that they I'm not saying this is what happened, but I'm saying it is possible that they could have created a chaotic area to get those videos and pull them. And because I, the part of the satanic ritual that occurred there, that was only one part. I feel like the second part of it was all of us watching it. 
every single person who participated in it by watching every all of those videos that came on their feed. Because when I the shock that I felt the first night and this and the sorrow and um, I mean, I sat in my car, I, I prayed for like 20 minutes and I cried and I prayed for the armor of God and for the families. And because it doesn't even matter, like if it was like an actual false flag or not the damage is done. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, just, I don't I feel that it was, that. A, I don't feel that it was a false flag. I feel not only was it a ritual, but it was a sacrifice ritual where, um, you see videos of Travis Scott saying you, you're going to die tonight. You, you're going to die tonight. And you brought up the Pearl Jam thing. And, um, Travis Scott actually put out a video where he was wearing the concert t-shirt of Pearl Jam at that um, concert where eight people died and supposedly eight people died at this show. However, a lot of people are saying it was a lot more. And when you speak on the graphene oxide, Verizon um, actually was running um, 5G networks through the entire thing so that people could supposedly have better Wi-Fi access or better internet access through their phones through this thing. But I think that might've been some sort of, some sort of, uh, uh, experiment to see how these strong 5g waves were going to interact with the graphene oxide. Yeah. And they, they don't have to be like one is right. And the other is wrong because it could, yes, it was a satanic ritual, but at the same time, the FBI who we know, uh, you know, they're not just going to leak something. Uh, it's their timing is for a reason. So when they leaked the Biden diaries and confirmed the legitimacy of them at the same exact day when they knew it would get buried in the Astroworld videos alongside with the arrest of the Steele dossier contributor, uh, Igor Dunchenko or whatever, all of that right. happened in the same day. And is anyone talking about that? No, of course not. Everybody's talking about Travis Scott. And I'm glad you brought that up because that doesn't that doesn't take away from what happened at the Travis Scott um, concert, because right. that was for that for sure happened. There's there's firsthand accounts of people that were there who witnessed all of this. And now they're saying that somebody was going around jabbing people with some unknown substance, um, which that cannot be verified whatsoever. Um we know that when something major is going to come out, they need to flood the news with something to distract, right? So what a better way to distract with a satanic ritual that ends up in sacrifice. Um, which brings me to my next question. And David, I'm hoping you can field this one. And it is, do we really know what the great deception is? And could it be everything that we're going through right now with COVID and the vaccine and whatnot? The, the great deception is not just the COVID. The great deception is people not finding Jesus and getting them distracted in religions, getting distracted even in the religion of Christianity. And um, there are so many people that think that they're saved, that they're in relationship and they're not. Um, I have a parable here that um, if you don't mind, I'll read out of Matthew yeah, 25. And this is uh, in Matthew 24, 25, the disciples were with Jesus and they asked, 
Lord, what's, what is it going to be like in the end times? What are going to be the signs and, and, and you're coming and all of this. And so he goes through and says, there's going to be wars and rumors, wars and all of that. And then he said, my coming is like these. And he gives these different parables. And he said, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. And for our lamps are going out, but the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. They said, you know, go in the city and go get some. Um, And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those that were ready went with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And then he gives another one, a parable of talents and and different ones. But, you know, throughout the whole New Testament, there's these analogies or, or imagery of the church is the bride and Jesus is the groom. And when you read that story, it would have meant a lot to them back then because it's really referring to a first century uh, Galatian marriage. And so if you, if you don't mind, it just take a couple of minutes, but I'll explain what that is. When, when a, a groom wanted to marry a, a woman, he would go to the fa- father's house of that daughter and he would negotiate a dowry. Right. And once they settled on that dowry and that price, um, then the bride would come in and she would have to agree. So it wasn't, wasn't going to be forced. She, she had to, to want to marry the man as well. And when she agreed, then, then they sealed that covenant with uh, uh, basically drinking wine and, and breaking bread, kind of like the Lord's supper. And, and so that kicked off the marriage. They were technically betrothed to each other. Then what happens is the groom goes away to prepare a place for the bride. And he, in back then in the first century, they would generally build on one or two or three rooms onto the father's house of the, of the groom. And the father would then tell the groom when he could go get his bride and they would bring her back and they would have seven days of a marriage celebration and they consummate the marriage, but he couldn't go get his bride until his father approved of the building project saying, you know, this is suitable for your bride. This is going to be comfortable for her. So nobody knew when the groom could go get the bride, but the father. And now you see the analogies in in the new Testament revelations that says, nobody knows the day nor the hour when Jesus will come, but the father, because he went away to prepare a place for us. And only the father can tell the groom when he can come back and get his bride. And when he had the last supper with the disciples, that was a marriage contract. He was basically marrying his, his bride, his church, when he drunk, uh, drank the wine and, and ate the bread. And he said, I won't have any more wine until you are with me, because then that is the marriage supper. The, the bride is with the groom and he paid the dowry with his own blood. That was the payment to, to his heavenly father. He paid the price of dying for us. And, and so 
So he's, he's saying this and he uses 10 virgins because he's talking about the church. He's not talking about the pagans out there that are just blind and not seeking God. He's talking about people that think they're in relationship. And, and he uses, and it's interesting. He didn't use two and 10, he used five and five. So, I mean, that should really wake us up that he's saying there are many in the church that think they're saved and they're not. Right. They, they had an emotional experience at one time. They got scared. They, they don't want to go to hell. So they, they said the prayer as, as a insurance policy, but they never changed their life because they never really totally gave their full heart over, you know, Jesus will never be your savior until he's your Lord. And so they never made him the Lord of their life, which means changing their life, living a new life, pursuing righteousness, pursuing God, pursuing the fruits of the spirit of love and gentleness and peace and kindness, that way of life. And, and basically being, you know, godly, wanting to be godly, wanting to imitate Jesus. And so, um, you know, to me, that that's, that's one of the scariest verses in the Bible it says, you know, depart from me. I never knew you but they think they knew him. And there's another one in the, in the new Testament where they said, didn't we go out and pray for the sick and, and heal the sick and cast out demons and, and feed the poor. And he said to those people, depart from me. Cause I never knew you. So it wasn't about the works that doesn't save you. It's about the relationship and the, and the submission of your will to his will. So with that being said, there is a lot of people out there and I'm going to use my parents as an example who truly believe that they are doing the Lord's work and they are Jehovah's witnesses. Mm. And uh, they, they've disfellowshipped me is what they call it. So they, they won't ever talk to me again as long as I'm breathing or they're breathing. Um, But to those people who truly do feel like they are doing right and they are doing God's will, are they, are they wrong in believing what they believe and is there a place for them in the new kingdom? Um, the Bible's clear to say that no one comes to the father, but through Christ, through Jesus. And that um, you, you confess with your mouth and you believe with your heart that Jesus is the son of God. And then he died and gave himself for you and rose again. But that belief is not just about the belief that he exists. Because if that's the case, then Satan would be saved because even Satan believes in God and trembles. Even the demons believe in God and tremble. When Jesus came on the scene in, in around, uh, I think it was around Capurum, and there was a, 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 a demon-possessed man in chains, the demons began to tremble and they say, be merciful on us, O Lord. This is what the demon said to Jesus. And so believing in the existence isn't the same thing of the belief in that Jesus is the son of God and our savior. That kind of belief is the belief in accepting all that he says that, that we should do in him. He says, I want obedience, not sacrifice. So it says, if you love me, you will obey me. So if you're believing in Jesus to be your savior and your Lord, then you're signing up with, all of the things that he said in the new Testament that we should be doing um, in him and through him and the life we should be living to glorify him and not living a selfish life anymore. It's it's not about us. And, and 
Um, it's about us dying to self and, and, and being alive in Christ. So that belief takes on an aspect of, of commitment, of, of submission, of humility, and accepting a relationship with God and pursuing that relationship. It's not just the belief of existence because demons do that. So, so that, you know, a true, true conversion is, I don't want to be the God of my life anymore. I want you to be the God of my life, heavenly father. And, and I believe that the work that Jesus did on the cross is a gift that I receive by faith. Not anything that I do, not, not works, but by receiving that, that you've forgiven me for my sins. And now I can be in relationship with you again, adopted into the family. And that's a pretty powerful thing when you feel that too, because, um, I think, um, I have slightly felt that a few times in my life because I was a say I was open Satanist and not necessarily a Satanist, but, um, I was in the music industry for a short lived period of time. And I knew that in order to get where I wanted to be, that I had to, you know, show signs of Satanism and, uh, bear the triangle with the all seeing eye and just total blasphemy stuff. I mean, I even in my vocal booth, I had demons that were hanging above the vocal booth because they were supposed to enter my body and make me release these amazing songs that were going to go like number one on the charts. Right. Um, Just uh, I'm totally disgusted at the person that I was because I knew the truth, but I knew of Jesus. I knew he existed. I knew he was real, but I rejected him right. because of selfishness, because I wanted to be my own God. And Lala, when I watched your video of you getting, I, I watched it like 20 times and I shared it with so many people. And I'm going to tell you that I cried like a baby. And ever since that video, there's just uh, times where I'll be talking about something or I'll be reading something. And I just feel this overwhelming sense of emotion that I cannot contain. And I start crying like a little baby. And I feel like once you really feel that, you know, and yeah. And and what was your moment, Lala? Well, so, you know, like like you said, was is that Ephesians two six or two eight, where you know it's it, you're not anything that you did yourself. It's by you're saved by faith, and right. um, so that's kind of what it felt like. I mean, that's what it, that's what it is, right? So I started to pray, and I guess. I, I really didn't know what I was doing when I, when I did, when I said that, that first prayer and I hadn't prayed in like 15 years. And I was just so aware of the spiritual warfare that was happening. So I felt compelled to pray to God for protection and pray. I, I asked him to use me how he sees fit. That's what I asked him. I said, use me in this war, however you want, um, protect me. I, protect my family, protect anyone who's fighting in this war, um, and guide me. And the very next week, my pastor, um, was a speaker at the community Patriots group that I'm a part of. And I just so happened to know him from, 
20 years ago, I played soccer with his daughter in a county of 1 million people, like very like that's a huge county. And so the fact that he was there and I felt the Holy Spirit through him when he talked, um, even though he wasn't really preaching because it wasn't about that. It was about our cultural war and the need for the church to get involved. And I was like, I could go to a church that feels that way, you know? So I said, I said, okay, God, you know, I'm going to go to this church, I guess. And I did not want to go trust me. Like I, I had a very big block against, um, church and, but I was obedient. I knew that's what he was telling me. And so I went, I sat in the balcony far away from everyone and uh the worship music started playing and i just just how you're describing um tears i could not control and uh it just felt like over overwhelming um unconditional love that was the holy spirit uh filling me and i I remember they asked, like, do you accept Jesus in your heart? And I said, yeah, you know, I said the prayer, but I was like, I don't know. I don't know about Jesus. So I had a lot of blocks still, but um, I had a great experience. So I went home and I was on the phone outside and there was a huge double rainbow over my house that um, is a promise from God in Genesis uh, that he will never um, flood the earth again, flood the earth again. (laughs) But it's a promise. It's it's a promise of his covenant with with us. And um, I didn't know that at the time, but I knew that it was God. And so I, I was still, I was so unsure. And I prayed, break the change around my heart. I just want to know the truth. Take the deception away. Just, I want to know the truth. And so I said, give me the right videos to watch. Give me the right um, people to come in my path. You know, still wasn't really touching the Bible that much at that point. And um, because I didn't trust the validity of the Bible still at that point. And so I was watching all these videos of like evidence of Jesus Christ, evidence of the Bible, evidence of the resurrection and all of that. And and I and I I've been saying it's like, well, yeah, there was plenty of that, but evidence doesn't, you know, convict you. Evidence, you know, that's not what makes you born again. So then when I finally opened my Bible and uh I read the the part in John 14 where he's talking, uh Philip is asking Jesus, like, just show us you're the father. And he says, haven't you been walking with me this whole time? Like, hasn't it been obvious to you? Like you've seen all the miracles I've been doing. Like, are you really asking me that right now? And when he, when I read that, that moment right there, everything, nothing was the same again. I wasn't the same from the first moment I went to church, but at that moment I knew I was ready to be baptized. So that's awesome. Yeah. And, and, uh, that's amazing. Brad gave me the shorter version of your, of your, uh, of your uh, testimony. And, and I was just so, so over, overjoyed that, you know, God, <laughs> God saved you out of that whole, you know, new age mysticism. And, and it's, um, it's so deceiving because in the Bible, it says that, that Satan and, and demons, they come as angels of light. So they, um, they tend to, um, appear as if they're good and um 
they're not. And, and they deceive us and they deceive people when people are trying to astro project and they're trying to connect spiritually to all these forces. They think they're trying to connect with God, but they're denying God. They're just connecting with demons. And, you know, um, when you said that, that faith doesn't come by uh, or salvation doesn't come by evidence. And, and you're right. It says in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. So it's through his very word, his, his Bible that we hear that. And then, then the Holy spirit illuminates that in our, our hearts and our minds and we believe. And so, um, but it's, that's one of the most pervasive things, Brad, I think today in, in, in this society is that Satan has distracted by so many different ways um, people in finding the true and in, in one God and uh, fortune telling and astro, you know, all these things, you know, as you're reading the old Testament, Lala, I don't know if you got the Jeremiah, but um, it says, you know, do not act like the other nations who try to read their future in the stars. Mm-hmm. Do not be afraid of their predictions, even though other nations are terrified by them. Um, and he goes on to say it, um, other areas that um, have nothing to do. It says um, in Leviticus 1931, do, don't turn to psychics and mediums to get help that will make you unclean. I am the Lord, your God. Um, and so there's many places that God tells us we're not supposed to seek any of that, that we're to go to the father and in the, in the name of Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus is ever interceding for us at the throne room of God and God's not avoiding us. We just need to go boldly straight to him. He's waiting for us. He's listening. So I'm stubborn and I have to leave no stone unturned. So I definitely dove down every path, every, you know, I've read, um, I've read the book of law. I've read um, uh, different satanic Bibles. And um, I want to hear both sides of the jury before I make my, before I made my decision, I should say. Um, But Lala, you said um, you weren't sure if you could really trust the Bible or the, or what. And I actually have this written down as a question um, for you, David. And, and because, um, well, actually, I'm going to ask you this other question first, because this is a conspiracy podcast, and I do want to <laughs> kind of keep it to my listeners who um, who are going to be asking certain questions. Um, most of us have seen the Zeitgeist documentaries, and the very first Zeitgeist documentary, it um, and you were just speaking on this, David, is... Um, don't look to the stars, but they broke down how, um, basically all these astrological, um, anomalies line up with the sun, right? That they they're were basically, all, uh, resurrected three days after and that they were right, all 33 right. years old and they were all born on Christmas. That has been debunked. Um, there's, there's a YouTube channel that's debunked fact check. Yeah. Fact check. Fact check. No, but uh, if, if you if you want to watch something uh, that this guy goes into each each uh, allegation of that, Stephen Bankars on YouTube uh, has a great video on that as as among among a lot of other things that are popular. I never claimed New Age, by the way. I just didn't even okay. know that I was that I was like adopting the New Age ideologies because it's all intermixed with the Eastern right. religions and the pseudoscience and all of that. So um, 
but but I always I that word always made me feel icky, but it didn't matter because that's literally what I adopted. Right. And um, but Stephen Bankars has all these videos on like the Christ consciousness, the cherry picking of scriptures when they say um, certain that certain things that like the kingdom is within you. And, um, oh, like when Jesus said, you're all gods and like that one specifically when he was about to get crucified, he was talking in the context of like God and correct me, you probably know more than me, David, but correct me if I'm wrong, but that God had given authority to um, anyone in, in politics. So judges specifically, they called him God during those times. Mm-hmm. And so he was talking about that and they twisted it and said like, Oh, you guys are all gods. And why would he even say that to people who are about to crucify him? So you really have to know yeah. context and people just love to cherry pick a scripture to go with their own ideas to make them sound right because you could really do that about anything if you cherry pick enough scriptures but you have to know the context and what what was happening at that time um back then absolutely lala and and that's exactly right and it uh in in seminary there's a term and for that it's called hermeneutics it's meaning when you read a passage you you can't extract more out of that passage and meaning for yourself than what the people in the time period it was written for would have extracted out of it. And so understanding the political environment, understanding how they lived, you know, understanding a Jewish wedding versus a modern day wedding, you're going to miss some of the very subtle spiritual analogies in those, those stories. If you don't understand their culture and the way they did things and, and the way they talked. And so it, you know, reading the Bible and studying the Bible are two separate things and they're both, they're both good. Mm -hmm. Um, Reading the Bible before you go to bed at night is, is great and all of that. Or when you get up in the morning, reading some passages, but studying is a whole different approach to really digging in and and getting a lexicon and uh, a Greek concordance and, and, you know, a Hebrew lexicon and and getting to the root words and really understanding the context and, and looking at other passages of the Bible. Like how many times was this Hebrew word used? And every time it was used, what was the main context of how it was defined? In other words, uh, a word could be used two or three different ways, but normally in a certain, in most settings, it's used this way. I'll give you an example. The word love. We have one word in, in English language for love, but we know that there's the love of our brother. There's the love of our, our parents. There's the love of a relationship, a more, you know, sexual love. There's, there's a more godly type of love, the love God has, which is unconditional. So there's all these very types of love, but we have to read the sentence and see the context to what that love's referring to. Well, in the Greek languages, they have separate words. They have phileo, which you get the word Philadelphia, brotherly love. You have eros, which is sexual love. You have agape, which is godly. And so you have all these unique words to describe that type. So when you study and kind of get into the root words of Hebrew and, and Greek, um, you can extract some of the, that context sometimes and, and, and have a better understanding of the passage you're, you're reading. So, 
And one thing I wanted to say too, before we moved on about the validity of the Bible that I found super interesting, because, you know, my, my conspiracy mind is still there. Like, and what I have found is there's so many rabbit holes in studying the Bible that you can find. Um, but the prophecies, for example, there's so many prophecies in the Bible that adds to the validity of it, but there's one specifically that in the original, um, translation that every 49th letter um, in the first two books, Genesis and Exodus, spells out Torah, so T-O-R-H. And then in the fourth and fifth books, they every 49th letter going backwards spells it um, in Numbers and Deuteronomy. And then in the center, every seventh letter spells out Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, right. and it literally points to each other. So this is something like numerically that if you think of how could the authors of this text know that that was happening, like that's supernatural. And there's a lot of proofs like that, but I just like numbers. So, well, that brings me, uh, no, that, and that's awesome. And a lot of people don't know, uh, when you said Yahweh for, uh, my listeners, that is God's true name. So, um, for just an ordinary person who is like, well, there's so many religions. How do I know which one is the right one? Um, my question is how can people trust the translation since it's been through so many cycles of uh, languages? And if you don't know Sanskrit or you don't know Hebrew or how, how can you trust these translations? I can answer that question, please. Okay. <laughs> So uh, that's a great question. And, and, and um, a lot of people ask that, you know, the, the Bible was written by man. How can we trust it? It's been changed. The Catholic church changed it, all of this. Well, when you look at, you know, the validity of any ancient document, um, there's several things that they try to do to validate is it was this written by the, the person. And if it's not the original, um, can we cor correlate with other documents that that it's the same? There is no other document like the New Testament in, in of any other ancient document in the world. Plato, they had seven copies, I think, or nine copies. It was a thousand years from the original works. So they didn't have any original. With the Bible, they have over 5,800 copies of the New Testament within the first 300 years. And they have several thousand within the first 150 years. And, and so this is one thing that they're going to look when, when a historian is looking at um, these documents, they're going to want to see how many copies they can find and the oldest copies they could get closest to the original so that they can compare. And so if they have a thousand copies that were in, in between 200 to 300 BC within 50 years of the first writings, um, they're, they're going to then compare those. And so if they're from, from Mesopotamia all the way down, you know, into Turkey, all the way down into Egypt, and they find all of these copies and they can carbon date them back 
uh, before even the, the Catholic Church really got going. Um, oh, carbon more dating to, is not accurate. Just... Not carbon dated, but, but using the, the dating methods that they, they did based on, on archaeological digs and, and various things that they're finding and artifacts and, and, and things like that. Um, there's going to be a, cons- uh, a consensus that they can say, okay, we've looked at these 3,000 copies and there is, you know, a hundred minor changes in, in certain words here, but did it change the context of it? No. You know, they wrote, he, he ran down the hill, he scurried down the hill, he moved down the hill really fast. That didn't change the context of that sentence. Um, it just was written, you know, with different verbs. So, so they do that. They compare all of these and, and they say, you know, the, I, we believe that this is, is, is the works. And then the other aspects is, when they look at other historians at that time period. So when you look at, you know, the, the earliest book they believe was either James or Hebrew in, in around somewhere in the mid fifties. So about, you know, um, over 20 years after Christ died on the cross. Um, and they can look at people and, and their writings. And if somebody wrote a, another chapter about Jesus and said all these lies, there are people still alive at that time period, you know, at a hundred, hundred AD, there are people still alive that were there when Jesus died, were there when the disciples went around and the churches were started and were eyewitnesses. And so if they would have tried to write these other copies, then that were false, um, they would have been scrutinized by the other people there and say, no, that's not true. And, and they were. So there, there was the group called the Gnostics uh, right around the second century that were writing all of these writings up to 2000 writings. And they were claiming that these, these should be part of the Bible and, and the church. Um, uh, it wasn't the council of Nicaea. I forget the council they got together, but they quickly determined that, um, these, these are not legitimate and, and the people found no validity in them. So when we say, oh, in the 11th century, the, the Catholic Church changed the Bible. Well, they can go back to a thousand copies they found in, in, in the third and fourth century and look at those original works. And they have them in, in, in the London Library, um, the document 54, I think it's called, and it's one of the earliest. And the Catholic Church can't go change that. They well, still like find... To- Get my still, hands on what the Catholic Church has in their in their library that they don't allow anybody right. to see. But um, we still find copies today, old copies within the second century, third century from archaeological digs, and we can see and compare. And another aspect on the Old Testament, there's a whole nother aspect of how the the Hebrew people took such great lengths to copy that. And um, I went to the museum in Jerusalem and saw the Dead Sea Scrolls and saw the book of oh, wow. Isaiah uh, and, and um, got that. And I was able to take a picture, but without flash. And, and I looked those Hebrew words up and word for word, the same Isaiah that we have today. So that it. That is awesome. But um, speaking of um, how do we decide what uh, goes into the Bible and um, you were saying, okay, it's the first part is going to be rhetorical. So we've all been alive during nine 11 and what they're saying in our history books that are teaching our children is complete garbage and BS. What um, so just the fact that people were still alive and saying, Hey, no, this isn't what happened. Doesn't mean that that's, that's what makes it into our history books. And another question that eats at me is why is the book of Enoch not in the Bible? 
Well, um, I just want to give my two cents first. Um, yeah. There's there's a line between believers and non-believers, but even in some believers where you either believe the Bible is the word of God or you don't. And if you believe that God is all powerful, fully sovereign, almighty, and that he can't protect his word, that's the, if you don't agree on that, like you're never going to get past a certain part, part of the conversation. I mean, you can do apologetics and David seems to be way more knowledgeable on that than me as I'm a b- brand new baby born Christian, but that's where the line is right there because this is the thing. So many people take, Oh, well, what's under the Vatican? Oh, what did they take out? Oh, da, da, da. well, you can go buy the, uh, what's the word for it? That starts with a, a, a pot apothecara or whatever apocryphal the, the, thank the you apocryphal books yes and the, and the catholic bible has like seven more books in it still to this day and um but th- that shouldn't stop you from reading the books that are there that's Correct. that's the way i look at it and then the book of enoch some people think it's inspired some people don't i have seen that jesus quoted it in certain parts of the Bible. There should be witness in the Bible to any book that exists. And um, I I don't know. I have not read it and I have not done enough research into it to have an informed op- opinion. So I'm speaking kind of ignorantly. However, I do think like since it came out later on, um, if God intended like maybe a later generation to have it, then maybe he would do it for that reason. Like, and I think like with the Bible itself, some people will read it, like you said, before bed and they'll get their message and they think, and they, you know, they love God and that's enough for them. Curious minds like us all sitting here, we're going to do the deep studying. We're going to go, we want to know what the original text said. We want to know what the original meaning was. And that's, that's amazing because you, you can get as much out of it as you put into it. So that's just my two cents. That was, that was more than two cents. That was, that was, (laughs) that was a paycheck right there. Um, So, you know, just because a book is written um, and just because it has pieces in it that line up with, with the ancient uh, books of the Bible and with the history of the Hebrew people and with, um, quoting other prophetical things that line up with Daniel or line up with uh, Isaiah end time um, type of things doesn't mean God has put its blessing to put it on it. And that doesn't mean we can't glean some, some value out of it, but we have plenty of books written today from pastors, from teachers, from evangelists that write about God that write about his word. And we can, benefit from that and it can help illuminate a certain truth from the bible but that doesn't mean we should adopt it into the bible as the word of god so i think there's this this misnomer that all the things in ancient times oh well if if it was a bible character and if he wrote something down that automatically has to be in the bible but that's not true yeah enoch was a patriarch but um, he didn't even write write those because it was written way after his, you know, within the like third and fourth BC um, when when it was put together. Um, several pieces of it. There, it it's a com- combination. Um, so the book of, of Enoch of- was not written by Enoch. 
um, they don't have any evidence that it was necessarily written by Enoch. And when Jesus quoted Enoch, he was quoting that person. He wasn't quoting from his book. He was, he was mentioning Enoch. So um, Enoch was a real character. Enoch really did le- uh, live. And, and obviously Enoch is, is in the old Testament, but. Um, and he did have a relationship with our creator. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it was uh, Noah's great grandfather. Is that correct? It was, yes. Exactly. I thought it was his grandfather, but yeah, you might be right. Yeah. yeah he was the eighth, eighth down. Uh, eighth generation down, I think, from Adam's uh, uh, Adam and Eve, but um, they don't have you know solid evidence that that Enoch wrote wrote it. So um, and then you know some of the pieces in it and in in what they did to canonize something in the Old Testament, um, they did not accept it as canon. So. Um, now the early Christians knew of that book and, and read it, and and I think it it's exciting and it's um, if I can use the word titillating to people because it, it got into more of that spiritual uh, mystic aspects of angels because there's a passage that talk about the time frame when when God said he was he was casting the the principalities down to earth because because they went against god and they were doing bad things to to the humans at that time if you remember the tower of babel that god was frustrated with the people he he broke them up because they were unified but and they could do a lot i mean as as human beings with 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 the attributes of god when we become one and put our minds to it we can accomplish almost anything but they were accomplishing things for evil not for good so god had to break them up and that's where the nephilim came about and then then he he gave them multiple languages but during that time period god then put these principalities uh for lack of better word i don't know what kind of angelic beings they were but he put these angels in charge over regions of watching mankind god kind of pulled away at that moment he was pretty frustrated many times in the old testament god was pretty frustrated with us because he gives us grace and then we go and blow it and and disobey him and would never trust him and always turn our backs on him and well, you um, just brought up you just brought up um, a question that I I have written down here, <clears throat> and um, I I think it ties into what you're talking about. So I'm going to go ahead and ask it, and you're going to be able to keep going on with what you're saying. And okay. um, <laughs> if you've if you've seen the movie Noah, the way that the Watchers are portrayed in that movie, I think is completely inaccurate. Yeah. Um, and um, a lot of people ask me, and and why why they ask me i don't know but um who are or were the watchers and what are their role in this um you know the watchers i believe were a a angelic host that god put in place to record and to 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 basically see everything that was going on and and uh these principalities that were also in charge of those regions they went against God and did things they weren't supposed to and, and hurt the people and, and God judged them. He judged the people, but then he also judged these principalities. And, and um, that's when he said, you're going to die like men. And he cast them down to earth. And that's when they took on human form. And that's when, um, you know, uh, they, they had relations with the, the sons uh, of man are the daughters of, of, of man and, and uh, the Nephilim came about. And then as you look down through, you know, the, the story, the old Testament 
doesn't go into great detail. Enoch kind of creates, you know, a more imagery around some of those stories. And that's why I think it's, it's so fascinating for people, but um, I don't think I, sorry to interrupt you, but I just feel like when you read Genesis and Exodus, well, it's like it started. It almost seems as if it's starting in the middle of something. You know, there's right. a lot of questions. Why did he commit genocide on his people? <laughs> That's really what it is. And also, they teach that to our our children as if it's like a fun, cute story, but it's literally a story about genocide. <laughs> right. Well, you call well, yourself David slays Goliath. So, isn't Goliath um, an offspring of these Watchers? Was he not an Ephlam? I, I, in my own personal beliefs, and I don't. I mean, just from what I've read and studied, I feel that the giants that are introduced into the Bible are the Nephilim. Uh I wouldn't go so far to say they were the Nephilim, but I think that, you know, crossbreeding and going on down to where you have, you know, um, an eighth of, of the bloodline or, or one thirty second of the bloodline. I think when God, you know, destroyed the, uh, the race, uh, the people at that time, it's because these de- demonic beings that were used to be angels that were so, so knowledgeable and so evil and, and they were, were interfering with mankind and, and, and man fell so far in, into sin that um, he literally had to just kind of wipe it clean and, and start over with Noah that um, there was no going back at that, at that. It's like kind of like redeeming Hitler. There's no redeeming Hitler. He was, he was evil to the core. Um, and um it, you know, God needed to stop that cancer. I guess that's the best way to show it. You know, when we have cancer in our body, we got to go in and rip it out else it will destroy the rest of our body. And, um, that at that time they had sinned so far that, um, God needed to, to, because there was no repentance. It's not like God said, you know, I'm not going to give them a chance. I'm going to wipe them out. I'm sure God was reaching and, and the Bible says that, you know, at all times, God is, is, is reaching out, but we harden our hearts and, and we don't listen. There's a scripture in Romans that kind of explains all of this. And, and to your point, we talked about this before, Brad, that nobody is without excuse saying, I didn't know God. I, I don't think he existed. Uh, Romans one kind of lays out that that's, that's a misnomer. God even says it. he goes, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them um, because God has shown it to them. So God just says right there, people may lie through their teeth and say, God never showed me anything. No, God says I I've shown them. Um, and for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for, although they knew God, they did not honor him or as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God of for images resembling mortal man's birds, animals, creepy things. So that there's where we get into the, how we, instead of worshiping God, we created our own gods and, and all these religions and everything that came. 
And then he goes, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served creature rather than creator, which really is, is worship is, is worshiping Satan because he was, he was created by God. He he wasn't the creator who was blessed forever. And then he goes, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for the women exchanged natural relations for the, that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for the error. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossipers, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient of to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only did them, but gave approval to those who practice them. So, I mean, that's a huge list, but that kind of describes that is a huge list. So that, and, that describes today in Washington, DC, right? I mean, that's just kind of, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and I, I had a couple questions while you were going through that list because I personally know some people who, um, truly believe and call themselves Christians that are homosexuals and um, are those. And another part of that is God created us, created us in his image. And if we have evil in our heart, does that mean that God has evil in his heart? No, God doesn't have evil in his heart, but when he, he took a big risk when he created us because he wanted to create children. I mean, his, his heart, and his intent was relationship. He created us in his image and gave us his attributes of, of love, the ability to love, the ability to choose, the ability to, uh, to cre create, to imagine, to, to um, have an in intellect. And, um, but in that, in that incredible risk of giving us volition, the ability to choose, we had to have the ability to choose opposite of him, which would create sin, which would create um, the evil. Um, there's somebody knocking at my door. Go ahead and, and continue. I'll okay. be right back. So, um, yeah, Lala, when you talked about how a lot of people just don't see, don't see God, um, there's a verse in, in 2 Corinthians 4 that says, um, Verse six, where is it? Uh, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So um, that explains a lot to me in these times when we're seeing all these different things, the, the lies about the 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 vaccines, the pandemics, the, the other things that they're trying to do to take away our rights and bring in this new world order. And we're like, why can't some of these people see it? It's like so mm -hmm. obvious, but their hearts, they've hardened their hearts and only God knows when they've hardened their heart past that point that he has no ability to, to reach them anymore. And he's given them up to their, their own decision. Um, 
that that was kind of what started to open my eyes is we were having a discussion between some friends and I, like how people can't see what's going right. on. Sorry about that. My roommate no. door dashed and didn't hear the door. It's okay. That they don't see what's going on, like in the physical realm or with the you know the COVID situation or all of that. And it just kind of like dawned on me, like it has nothing to do with us being wiser or um, you know more intelligent than these other people who are brainwashed it's literally by the grace of god that we are here to see it and in the same way that we and this is why i say the, the truthers are in a sort of boot camp for god's army because you're already sharing the truth and you're already shunned by society for sharing the uncomfortable truths right. so when you add christianity to that list and you and you take out the okay well i'm going to die on this hill for the jab and you just replace that with jesus it's a really easy transition, actually. <laughs> right, right. Actually, it is um, absolutely. And and Jesus even said, you know, I always say, if nobody is hating you, you're not living your Christianity correctly, um, because Jesus said they hate me, they're going to hate you. The gospel is going to be the sweetest words to some, and it's going to be nails on a chalkboard to others. Those that don't want to hear about God, that don't want to love God, that don't, they want to live in their sin and pursue their sin. They want to be their own God. They want to say, I'm going to decide what's right for me. I'm going to choose what's moral or not moral. They're saying like they want the attri attributes of God. That's God's domain. He gets to choose what is morally right in this universe. He created it. He created morality. He, he is holy and righteous. He does. He is the measuring stick to what is good. And, and only he alone can decide those things. Um, just like a carpenter, when they're building, they don't use their eyesight to figure if a wall straight or not. They'll use a level or a laser because it's constant. It's, it doesn't change. Human beings are fickle. We'll change all the time. 10 years, we have a feeling one way, a political view one way, a thing in our society that this is morally okay. And then 10 years later, then it's not. And then something else that was morally okay, uh, morally not okay, all of a sudden it's morally okay 10 years later. And so, yeah, we are terrible at, at, at being able to create a constant in, in morality. Um, we are, you know, society and the people that don't want God, they want relative moralism, which is basically, I want to be my own God. I will decide what's right or wrong. And that, 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 well, that goes off square against God in his face. It's like, uh, you're not going to win that battle against God. And you asked specifically about being gay. Um, oh, really quick. Yeah. Because I have, I have yeah. somebody in, in my life that I love and I deeply respect. And, um, she is a lesbian and, um, she goes to church every Sunday and she has a company called love up and, uh, she puts out monthly shirts and it all, it, it has a passage where it's just a godly message. And, um, I want to know is, is she going to be saved in all of this? Here's the thing. We have to always go back to the Bible. We can't go by emotions and feelings because we can be sincere and she can be sincere and, and love her partner. I, I sincerely love my partner, but sincerity doesn't equal truth and doesn't always equal what is right. You can be sincerely wrong. And, um, 
being gay in the sense that you have these passions or desires towards the same sex, that's not what, what gets you in trouble with God. It's acting them out. There are people that will battle their whole life having desires of pedophilia. There are people that will battle their whole life desires of bestiality. But as long as they understand that, that I can't act that out, it's, it's wrong to act out pedophilia. Um, because they have those thoughts, that's not what is sending them to hell. It's the actions. It's always the action. It's not the, not the thoughts. Well, hang on, David. Isn't there a scripture that says, if you had lustful thoughts for your neighbor's wife, you have already sinned? You have. You're right that Jesus took the, the Torah and, and stepped it up one, one time, you know, one, one notch harder when he was preaching to the Hebrew people back then, because they said, you know, um, you know, is don't murder. But then he said, Hey, if you have hate in your heart, you already murdered. And what he, he was saying was really that if you've built up that desire so much in your heart, that if you were in a room with that person and nobody was looking, you know, you would, you would act out your lustful thoughts, then you've already committed it just because you don't have the access to it. Doesn't mean you weren't going to do it. So it's, it's not just about having an, you know, a flash. I have an instant lustful thought. We're human. We're all human. We, we have those all day. Our mind bombard us with all sorts of things. And that's, not, that's what I was going to say, actually, is because yeah. everyone wants to laser focus on being gay because, yes, it is a sin in, in the Bible in many places. And uh, our society has made it such a forefront of people's identities and personalities. Mm-hmm. And they like, we're, I mean, we're all straight here, right? But like, do we go around wearing shirts that say we're straight, we're straight? Like, come on. <laughs> right. It's, no, it's hey. ridiculous. And they do that. And they do that for a reason. They do Is that because it's an flag? attack on God. It everything right. has to do with being an attack on God. And so to answer your question about the thing, the, well, the thing that I was going to say is, yes, it's a sin, but so is being drunk. So is a lot of other things. And there's no hierarchy of which sin is worse. The thing that to me is that if you if you really love God, you hate everything he hates. You, right. you respect and you respect his word and you want to do everything you can to keep it. And when you actually are born again and you um, are born again in the spirit, you don't care about the things of the flesh as much. So because of that, uh, that roadblock for a lot of pe- people who are gay, they automatically might not even try to have a relationship with God because they don't want to give up their sin because they love sinning. And a lot of people do not just gay people. A lot of people love sinning. You know, a lot of people love, we all sin. And like you said, we all are sinners makes one more, one sin more um, crucial. But the thing is, is that when you're born again in the spirit, you want to give them up and you don't want to do those things anymore. And that's overpowering. And yes, you're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to sin. You're never going to not sin because we are sinners. And that's another thing I think that people have trouble with being a Christian is that everyone wants to think that they're just a good person, but everyone has hate in their heart. Everyone is ugly sometimes. And when you come to terms with that, that's when you can start to say, "I, I surrender my heart and I need 
a savior because then you realize that you are evil to the core. Exactly, Lala. I mean, you know, a lot of people want to put this grading scale. Well, I didn't murder somebody, so I'm not as bad as the next person. No, we all have fallen short and we've all sinned uh, and and fallen short of the glory of the God of God, the Bible says. So we're all as equal. We're all closer to being Hitler's than we are ever to being Jesus. (laughs) So um, and we have to see it correctly from God's sight. That sin is sin. But he loves us anyways. He loves us anyways. <laughs> that is the, yeah, I, I was going to get to that, but I, I just wanted to, we want to, we want to skim over the bad part and, and yeah. we need that. We need that humility and reflection of understanding mm-hmm. where we are. We are, we are fallen and lost and at enemy, at enemies of God. The Bible says we're enemies of God. And it says here, if you, um, oh, you who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate, says God. So your point, Lala, is is so, so relevant that when you get saved, when you have the before you get saved, you you cannot not sin. That's all you're going to do. That's all you really do. There's nothing you do that's considered good in the, in the sight of God. Anything that you consider good is filthy rags, Paul says. But once you do get saved and you have the Holy Spirit in you, now you actually have the ability to not sin. The Bible says we, 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 cannot, we can seek God's help. He will always provide a way out and we cannot sin. And he puts that desire in your heart to pursue righteousness. You have a, a different intent for your life and purpose. And, and people need to understand what is that? What's the great, what is the great purpose of what God's trying to do? He's trying to bring us back to where we originally were in the Garden of Eden before the fall, Adam and Eve. And where was that? Walking in pure righteousness and holiness with God. And, and, and being of that nature, the nature of God, not the nature of man, which is sinful. And so once we're saved, our pursuit now is to be sanctified and to be imitators of God, to be like Jesus, to uh, pursue righteousness, to be holy as I am holy, God says. And we can only do that with the power of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't happen overnight. And yes, we will make mistakes, but... The thing is, once we're saved, we understand we make those mistakes and the Holy Spirit checks us and we're very uh, acutely aware when we sin and that we don't want to do that and we want to improve. So, you know, when Jesus saves us, he does the work. He says he's the author and finisher of our faith. So we are justified by the blood of the cross. But once we're justified, so we had nothing to do that. It says that we are saved by faith. Uh, not not of any works of ourselves. Um, but after we're saved, then there's a process called sanctification. And we very much participate in that. We have to strengthen our mind and, and have our mind line up with our spirit so we control our flesh. And we do that by renewing our mind with the word of God so it can be transformed so that our mind is thinking the way God thinks and not thinking the way the world thinks. And that's a process that's so, very, very difficult, right? Because it, yeah. we're bombarded with human 
with with man's ways constantly you turn on your tv and everything basically is a is a distraction to take you away from what our true purpose is in this life right and uh that's the way Satan's system is set up right now to where we're, we're working to pay bills and uh, we're letting uh, these schools basically be our babysitters and raise and teach our children the things that n- not are not necessarily what we want for them or what God wants for them. Um, and it's almost like we get trapped into this system, uh, Satan's system. Um, I really, I I don't want to ask this question, but one of my listeners asked me to bring this up. So I have two more questions before we, we end this. Um, Mary Magdalene. That's he, he, he wants to know what your thoughts are. Um, she was like in regards to like the conspiracy or whatever that she was married to Jesus. no, I I no, do no, not. No, no, no. The um, she was a she was a prostitute and actually Jesus's girlfriend and or wife. Yeah, no, there's nothing in the Bible that indicates that that um, he had a girlfriend or I mean he wouldn't have a girlfriend. It said that he he lived a perfect life. He did not sin, um, and there's no account of a marriage, so he wouldn't be in relationship with a person, um, and he, that was not his mission. That was not his goal. When God came down off his throne um, in the form of his son to, to live a human life, it was to be a sacrifice. And all the Old Testament, um, all the prophecies of the prophets were um, speaking of this. Matter of fact, when you talked, La La, about um, the hidden messages in Hebrew, uh, you know, the ancient Hebrew language is so amazing because you get Jamatra out of it. But I mean, the letters themselves met, had a meaning. They were pictorial. Um, and then the letters were numerical and meant something. And then the letters combined in a word meant something. Well, when you take in the beginning, the pictorial message is that God's son died on a cross because when you get the tov, tov is is a cross. And the literal meaning is that God was sending a son to die on a cross. And that was in the very beginning of the Bible. And and just it's it's amazing. But where, no, did, I, where did who who came up with this Mary Magdalene thing? Um, was that just from that movie, um, that Tom Hanks movie? What was that? Um no, it was farther back in history, but it, it, it's insidious. Uh, I, I attribute it to Satan and, and always trying to discredit God, always trying to, you got to look at what he's done through human beings is to mock God any way he can. He took what was beautiful in human sexuality between a man and woman, and he mocks it. He takes, um, you know, other aspects of our, our life, and he mocks it. Everything that he's done is is imagery to mock and to to discredit God. So he has no original thoughts. He copies everything. He is the father of lies. The Bible says there's no truth in him. And and because he was a very intelligent angelic being, he was the highest angel. The Bible said. Um, he was he was also a worship leader and in heaven, and he also God loved him so much above all the other angelic hosts. He gave them a robe that was filled with all these precious jewels, and and when the the glory of God 
um, his light was shining off of him, it would reflect off of uh, Lucifer's uh, robe. And it was the closest to him being like God, right? Because God was letting him share that glory was coming off of Lucifer as well. And that was how much God loved him and honored him. And that went to his head and he says, I'm going to exalt my throne above you, God. And um, that pride. And, and that's, that's the original sin of man. Uh, surely you're not going to die. If you eat this apple, you'll be like God. And um, that's, that's, you know, we could have had it the whole garden, but no, we wanted the one tree that God said, no, don't do this. You can have everything else. Just stay away from this one. What do we do? We go to the one that's <laughs> as human nature through, throughout all history. And, uh, and don't you think it's uh, funny that the Apple logo is an apple with a yeah. bite taken out of it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, Lala, did you have any questions before I asked my last question? Um, no, not, not at the moment. Okay. So, um, president Alex Soli, who has been on we, the people radio has a very curious theory about Q and because Gabriel is the messenger, he seems to think that, um, Gabriel could be Q because Q <laughs> says you will not believe who is talking to you once you find out. And, uh, I know this is just kind of a hypothetical and we can laugh about it, but maybe there's some validity to it because it says it will be biblical. And I, I guarantee you if it wasn't for Q, I probably would not have found Jesus the way that I did. And if it wasn't for Lala, by the way, Lala, you <laughs> saved that, me. That's well, all the glory goes to God, but I am happy to be the, uh, instrument that he uses now the whole the way that i look at the world now whether it's q or whether it's literally anything like any movie any event that happens there's a lot of places in the bible where you know again going back to god being fully sovereign fully capable of stopping anything that happens or making something happen and he he lets like job i'm reading job right now job was um a great servant of god's and he god basically allowed satan to take all of his children take all of his property and put and sores all over his loyal. body and um there was some t- he complained a lot <laughs> but yeah um but <laughs> but my point is that he used satan to, to test our faith, he used Satan for like, in you know, all of my life, all of the struggles that I had to get to this point. So um, the way that I look at things like Q or any movies or anything like any of the good and bad that happens to the world, like this is God's plan. Like there is no plan, but God's plan. It, it, it will be biblical because there's it's not all done yet. There's still things that have to be fulfilled in the Bible. So yeah, it will be biblical regardless if Q said it or not. And, um, I I don't know. I mean, you just, when you said that about the angel being a messenger, that really got to me because there's all these, there's in the English translation, there's all these times where, Oh, an angel came an angel came an angel came. What did that really mean? Did it mean that an angel really came from heaven? Possibly because they were much more attuned to the spiritual realm back then. 
But could it also mean that someone came to them as a messenger from God? You know, just a normal person. So that's what I was thinking. And the, the, the way that the whole Q operation has gone, you know, some people say, oh, it's a psyop that keeps people from not moving or whatever. Dude, those people weren't going to do anything anyways, because right. I, I, I that's the furthest from the truth. It, hel- it helps people think critically It helps people get aware of what's happening and uh, if anyone's sitting there doing nothing because of Q, like shame on you, because that is not what anyone should be doing right now. Even if you believe that in, in God and that oh, the plan is his, you can still ask him to use you f- for his will and right. do We're whatever supposed to be warriors for God. Right. Right. So yeah. We can't sit back and do nothing. We need to. Yeah. Th- there's things for us to definitely do. But, um, you know, I don't put my hope and trust in man. So you got, you got Q, you got all these things, you know, all these dates were supposed to happen, including today, 11, 11. And, and no, uh, no, no. people put that people, people put that in, but Q um, Q never said any dates, never said any dates. It was people that said these dates were going to happen because that's how they read the posts and they they decoded them. This date, this is what's going to happen. Q has not. There is one that says like Hillary Clinton will be arrested on this date though. Right. That is I, true. And that was in the, like the first, uh, that was in one of the first posts too. And, and there were, there are other ones done in 30. And, and so there are numerical time frames within the, the Q posts more than one, but the, the, I, I get what you're saying. They got, you know, he didn't say specifically 11, 11, this is going to happen, but he did put time frames in certain things in, in, in a year out or 30 uh, done in 30 different things. Right. But, but they're the bottom, all happening in deltas too. I would like to, I would <laughs> right. like to say, but the bottom line is, is whether they come true or they don't come true. God is true. And God's plan will come true. Like Lala said, and, and there's an aspect of God called providence. And what that means is God is so great in his infinite wisdom and omnipotence and omnipresence and capability that no matter what man chooses, we could choose against God that in the complexity of our ability to have volition and choose against God, God's will will still be done. The Bible says that man makes his plans, but God orders the steps. So there's nothing we can do that's going to go against God's plan. And, um, it will be perfect and it will be exactly the way he wants it. And when he wants to start the tribulation, that will start exactly when it was supposed to start. And we don't know, but um, there's a lot of signs today that, that point to things, but Lala, I wanted a, a verse for you that is um, meant a lot to me. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. So, you know, God never promised us we weren't going to have trials, but he said he would never leave us nor forsake us. And the trials are there for a purpose. It's to mature us. It's to point us back to God. It's to keep our eyes on God, not on the storms, but to look up and and not walk by sight, but walk by faith. His goal is to have us spiritually mature in pursuing righteousness and, and not 
not our comfort. He wants our commitment. He wants us to be pursuing him. And so he will use those trials in our lives for that. Uh, but that doesn't mean we don't have times of abundance and times of joy and times of, of, of great happiness, but that's not going to be our whole life. Every human being will have trials. Everybody will have sorrow. Everybody will experience, you know, people and uh, of deaths in their families and friends. And that's just the journey of life. Yeah. Amen. Um, before uh, we end this in prayer, um, Lala, if you don't have any final thoughts, uh, let's do the whole podcast thing where tell everybody where they can find you. <laughs> okay. Um, you can find me on Instagram really is all that I'm active on. Lala beams like a beam of light with a Z. Um, but I'm really on my backup. Lala dot beams. Same name, same podcast, Lala Beams. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just basically have a new uh, guest on every time. It's really been more biblically focused lately. Um, but I, I do go into some rabbit holes. Like the last one was just on um, this timeline deception possibility that the millennial kingdom could have already happened and that they've been lying to us about that so there's and like you said the tribulation there's a lot of arguments even in the christian community where pre-trib post-tribulation and so even if you're like coming to christianity and you think it's going to be all boring or that you're going to ever stop learning and that you just accept jesus and that's it no it's so deep and there's so much oh it's and, the craziest rabbit hole there is yeah and so it's just it's it's just been such an amazing journey and i've been definitely getting attacked um since the day i started walking with the lord but it doesn't matter because you know hearing you say that to me like that sharing my journey helped point you towards god um that just you know keeps me going to keep doing the same thing so I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Um, David. Yeah. So, um, so uh, on Instagram, I'm David slays Goliath um, Sunday nights at uh, 6 PM Pacific. I have a Bible study that I do. And then I can be found on telegram at David slays Goliath. I can also have a website that I ha barely have anything on there and still have to work in the graphics, but uh, it's, it's David slays Goliath.com. And I have an email, which is David at David slays Goliath.com. So I can, <laughs> I can be reached uh, at all of those locations. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Lala, keep, keep sharing your testimony. That is your testimony. Each of our journeys is unique on how God brought us to himself, but that's, that's, that's the glory. And that's the amazement that he uses, you know, all these foolish things that we did and he uses them for our, our good and for his, his good and for his glory. So keep sharing. And really quick for you, since I know you like some of those rabbit holes, there's um, a person you need to, to seek out their books. It's Dr. Michael Heisner, H-E-I-S-E-R, uh, theologian and um, PhD in ancient languages and studies. And he did a whole book on the Old Testament on angelic beings and the stories and really digged into the Hebrew. And he's one of the... I think the best in, in taking out the mythology and, and giving you the truth of what the Bible does say and what it doesn't say 
in, in speaking to those things. And, and his book is unseen realm and that's really technical, but if you want something a, a little easier reading, he also created one called supernatural, what the Bible says about uh, Nephilim and angels and, and all that stuff. And um, I think you guys would enjoy his work. Oh, that's awesome. It's he, it, um, on a, uh... Apple, Apple books or Amazon. Oh, I'm sure it's, it's everywhere. And then, um, and he also does, uh, you'll find Heisner Heisner. Yeah. H E I S E R. And he he does, uh, he does a lot of YouTubes and, and, and podcasts. And, um, the other person for Lala is Sean McDowell. Um, Dr. Sean McDowell. He was, he's the son of Josh McDowell who, who wrote, um, evidence demands a verdict. And that was a book 20 years ago where he put all these facts together and everything. But Sean, he has a YouTube podcast and he, he, he dresses apologetics and he'll have on atheists and he'll have on people from different religions. Oh, that's awesome. And they'll, and he's very respectful, but very intelligent and on how, you know, they discuss things from a very logical standpoint, philosophical standpoint, but lays out um, his, his belief very articulately. And um, it's, it's, it's really fun to watch these debates with other people. And, and at times you can see he, he makes people think and, and he's respectful to take, you know, the, the valid points that the other people make as well. So I, I really enjoy his podcast, but I think you guys would enjoy that. So Sean McDowell. Thank you for sharing that. Um, So for my listeners, please go follow um, my fellow Christian truthers, Lala Beams and David Slays Goliath on Instagram. And um, Lala Beams has a podcast, which is available on all podcast platforms. And when David said he has a show at 630 um, Pacific Standard Time, he means that he goes live on Instagram. So when you follow him on Instagram, you will be able to go Sunday nights at 630 and he does a Bible study, which is awesome. And I try to join that every Sunday night and I've been loving it ever since I started doing it. Um, you guys, thank you so much for coming on white rabbit. I know that my listeners are going to be like, what the heck (laughs) was this? But you know what, if we just woken up one person to this, then that was worth it to me. And, um, I'm not going to stop. And from here on out, you guys, just so you know, we will be ending every episode on prayer with that being said, Davis, can you take us out? Absolutely. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your great love and mercy that you've bestowed upon us each and every day that we wake up with breath as a gift from you. Lord, I just pray anyone hearing tonight, Father, if they don't know you, that you would prick their hearts, Father, that you would draw them to yourself. And uh, we give you all the glory, Father, that this the life we live now is, is for you and it's not for us to boast or, or fame or anything. We just want to share the message that of what incredible love you have for us and how you've changed our lives. And uh, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for Lala and thank you for bringing me into Brad's life as well. And, and um, I ask you father to bless these people and bless their lives, protect them and uh, protect, bless everyone that is listening to this podcast. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. 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 
All right. Well, that was another episode of White Rabbit. Next week, we will have on Kill the Mockingbirds with QD. So be sure and check that out. We're going to be going into some deep patriot and uh, conspiracy stuff there. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this as much as we enjoyed having the conversation. Lala and David, thank you so much for joining me once again. And I would love to have both of you back on. You're more than welcome on the podcast. Thank you. Why divided we fall in the land of the free?